everyone, welcome back to the Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and this week I'm chatting to author and actress Natasha Naomi Ray as we chat all things well-being, mental health and her brilliant book Me, Myself and Bipolar Brenda. So sit back, relax and get ready to join in with our conversation. Hi everyone, I hope you're all well. I hope you've all had a great week. It's been a a tough time for all of us, I think, as we try and move back into the new normal. I'm joined today, as I said in our introduction, by the brilliant Natasha Naomi Ray to talk all things well-being, mental health, and her amazing book, Me, Myself, and Bipolar Brenda. Hi, Natasha. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you, today. It was a bit of a rocky start to the week, but yeah, it's lifted a little bit now, so that's good. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Now, you are an actress, a full-time mummy, power lifter, and author with your debut book, Me, Myself and Bipolar Brenda, gaining critical acclaim for its honest and emotional portrayal of someone living with bipolar disorder. The book is composed of a series of your own personal journals from the past few years and has recently seen high-profile actors such as Dean Andrews, Catherine Tildesley and Samantha Giles all read monologues from it from the Speak Out Like Brenda campaign for Bipolar UK. It's a movement that's gaining national momentum as you raise awareness of the realities of living with the condition and it's been a rocky few years for you so tell me how does hearing all of that make you feel? Um, a bit overwhelmed, <laughs> a bit mad really, I think, because um, yeah, this time last year I was probably a million miles away from all of this, which, you know, is great because I think it shows people that do have bipolar disorder or do have a mental illness that, you know, you still can achieve things, which I think is important, really important for people, especially in the time that we're in as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, you said that, you know, last year was probably one of the worst years of your life. And yet you you were fixed on getting this book out. I suppose it's a bit of a lifeline for you, really. I think I actually said um, at one point, it really has been my light through a lot of darkness. And it, and it really was, you know, as dramatic as that sounds. You know, it was all I had that year, really. And what made you want to make um, a book out of all of your accounts? Was it because... Was it something that was it a bit of a, a dream of yours to have always had a book or was it just after you'd revisited certain chapters that you decided to bring it all together? Okay, so it's a really funny story, this. I went to Joshua Brooks to watch JB Shorts once with my friend Joe Swaber and there was this man at the bar drinking a pint of bitter. Never met him before in my life. And he was going on about palm reading. And I am into all like, my spiritual stuff, obviously. Anyway, and he, he looks at me palm, he said, you're going to write a book, you? And I went, oh, all right. And I said to Joe, what would we call it? Me, myself and bipolar Brenda. And we were just laughing and it was just, a, you know, a bit of a joke. Obviously, I was still, you know, I was writing journals at that time. When you read the book, I think every now and then you keep seeing little snippets where I like talk to myself in my book, in my journals. I might write a book one day. I might write a book about powerlifting. Oh, I might write a book about meditation. You know, so no, I never ever set out nine years ago, I'm going to start journaling to make a book. Mm. That was never ever the, the intention. And I, I was going through a really, really difficult time. Probably the first, I would probably say the first time since, when I have episodes, I've, I've got quite a strong-willed character. So 
and because I've got tools like my Kundalini yoga, my powerlifting, my meditation practice, my, you know, acting, I can get out of holes a lot quicker probably than what a lot of other people with this condition do. Maybe because I'm quite stubborn as Natasha. However, towards the end of 2018, I just could not get back to me. Mm. I just couldn't. It was horrific. I've suffered with anxiety and panic attacks all my life, obviously, but not to the point where it physically was stopping me from going out. Um, it, it terrified me. Like I think I mentioned in the book, I spent more time, my first year in my 30s, I spent more times at A&E on a Saturday night than I did out. I was there every week, convinced I was dying because I was having these horrific anxiety attacks. I was wetting myself. I couldn't hold my bowels. It, it was just... I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Mm. And I just, I think I had to go, I need to look back. I need to, how, how am I not getting out of this? Like, I always get out of this. Why is it lasting so long? And I got all my journals out and, and started to look back. And some of it was great because you go, oh my God, actually I did this and I did that and I've achieved this. And some of it was like, oh my God, you've been doing and repeating the same patterns for 10 years. Did you find that um, that revisiting of your chapters even of your life, that again, you were able to kind of take some accountability of your own? And, and obviously, yes, you do have a condition, but then there was other parts of your behavior that maybe you could take ownership over? Absolutely. I am not, I've said this before, I'm not the same girl that started when I was putting those journals together in the book. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I think I wrote in the book, I did not write this book to blame everything on bipolar. Yeah. And I also said that sometimes I can be wrong as a human being. I've acted wrong. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I've stayed in situations way longer than what I should have stayed. I've caused myself a lot of unnecessary pain. Partly me, partly bipolar Brenda. But yeah, absolutely. You know, when I look back at some of the, the relationships, I think you knew not to go back there like you knew so really I had to and also I think you start to take accountability of yourself your actions and what you've done it loses its power over you you gain your power back then because you go well actually it's not what you've done to me it's what I've allowed you to do to me so that was that was huge for me that was yeah. really huge I think as well when you say that about if you have any form of um, mental health issue, you know, I've, I've spoken to you about the fact that I have anxiety and it, it, it is horrendous. You wouldn't wish it on people. You, there's, there's, you know, there's having a bit of worry and then there's having something that genuinely takes over your body and you are in no control of it at all. And even if you, you wish to God it wasn't happening, you can't help it. There's an element of control, I think, with mental health and that when you have any form of mental health issue your ability to control your life in certain ways so that you can at least have some navigation on it becomes really key it becomes really it's your tool to be powerful otherwise you just lose all your power and your body almost takes over and do you think again like you were saying about having tools the things that you've learned like with your kundalini with the power lifting has allowed you that control so that you can navigate which way your life's going yeah, 100%. They're my medications. People would say to me sometimes, um, I've always done like a part-time sales job, you know, 
obviously self-employed I've never been able to like you know I wouldn't be able to have a nine to five I wouldn't know how to <laughs> to I don't think I would just you know you know yourself it'd be a bit like oh what's this but the the tools that I've got are my life tools now as well as my mental health tools and powerlifting was huge for everything in for my book from the Reiki to the meditation to the powerlifting to the Kundalini yoga you know I know some people go Sometimes I will, you know, I get obsessed. So I don't ever do anything with half a heart. Mm. So if I'm doing, you know, a Kundalini, if I'm on a 40 day meditation, 40 day Kundalini, I'm doing that every single day. Yeah. Um, if I'm on a vegan diet before I'm going to Ibiza to, to do a Kundalini yoga retreat, I'm not going vegan. I'm going raw vegan. Yeah. You know, everything is the extreme. However, are they good obsessions? Yeah, of course. Because... Yeah, I might get obsessed with it. But, you know, I remember, you know, people that I know in the past that used to have really bad drink problems, but then got completely consumed with, with you know, yoga or exercise and they, they wouldn't let anything get in the way of them missing a yoga class. I think that's a lot more healthier than not letting anything get in the way of you missing drinking yourself into oblivion. So, you know, some people do kind of say, oh, she gets obsessed with, you know, my yoga and my meditation. I, got, I think I probably got obsessed with powerlifting. I'm nowhere near as intense with powerlifting as, as what I was. Mm. I mean, I was training for a competition, so, you know, it's going to be different. And do you think, um, again, you, uh, one of the things that um, really captured me about your book was the, obviously the title, Me, Myself and Bipolar Brenda, but it was the subtitle, which was, you know, um, the journals of a happy soul with a chaotic mind. For me, that absolutely resonated so much with me because I felt like that myself. I'm a really positive person. You know, I, I'm happy most of the time. I want joy and sunshine and rainbows. And then I will have thoughts that are so negative that just race through my mind. And I, I've said to my husband before, it feels really unfair because I know that these are really my genuine thoughts. I, 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 I worry constantly. And it's to the point where, like you said, where your mind is so active that you do have these obsessive traits where it's almost like if you were a, if you were a, a detective, you can imagine that you know, you'd, you'd analyze things straight away because your brain's so fast and it'd get to the answers really quickly. And yeah. So it can be brilliant, but it can be so draining. I mean, is that the same for you? 100%. 100%. I think they say, there's a saying, isn't there? To feel everything so in, intensely can be a blessing, but also a curse. Mm. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Stephen Fry says it fantastically. He, he did, um, he went round the world, I think, and asked a thousand people with bipolar disorder, if you could switch the button to turn this off, would you do it? Only one person out of a thousand people said, yeah, I'd switch it off. Everybody else said, no, I'll keep it because what you do when you're I wrote and self-published a book in less than 12 months you know that's who I am and I would never have wanted a clean polished book to go out because I'm not clean and polished well obviously I'm clean people <laughs> the impression I'm sat here stinking uh, <laughs> um, but the speed that I went out with that and I think I've said to you before you know I got every obstacle coming my way you could have possibly could possibly have got the book got edited formatted and cover and uploaded within four days before it went out because the person who was supposed to do it for me let me down but was that getting in my way 
No, it was going out. On my birthday, I wanted on Amazon, published on the 17th of January. Because that was my, it was for me to go, that's the past. Now let me move into my new life now. I've dealt with this. I'm still going to come up against stuff in this book. I know I'm still going to come up against stuff. But now it's got to go out on that day because I made that decision that it goes out on that day. And I do, if I do put my mind to something, I mean, some days with bipolar, you you literally think you can change the world. Well, I think as well, it's that, whether it's the bipolar or not, I think it's, again, it's that control element of you going, I am making the decision to change my life and nothing is going to stop me. It's like you have become you almost have to get to that point of becoming the master of your own brain and having that voice to say, you are not going to overcome me. Me, Natasha, is going to be the stronger voice. And I think that's from what I can see is what you kind of did. Yeah, I think you could. I don't think you could have put that any better, to be fair. And that's really interesting what you um, you just said about the, the captain, because that's actually what's on the journal. I think it's the captain of my fate, the controller, something like that. I can't remember. And yeah, I I did. I I just got, I was repeating the same patterns with the same men for 10 years and nothing was changing and the same outcomes. And I was sabotaging myself. And that's like when I say, you know, I'm not blaming it all on bipolar. I've made some choices myself that I know was wrong, but I had to take control of myself and I'm a big believer in what's meant to be is meant to be. And when your time's right, your time's right. And The Alchemist is one of my favorite books I've ever read in my life. Paolo, Paolo, I can never pronounce his surname. But he says, when you want something, the whole of the universe will conspire in bringing it to you. And I believe that that's what happened. And I believed that it was, my yoga teacher said to me, my Kundalini yoga teacher said to me years ago when I first went to Ibiza, totally out of place, didn't know what I got myself involved in. You know, raw vegan food. I'm there with a 22-inch weed, 12 different coloured bikinis with people double my age. <laughs> you know, I was like, I mean, you've probably read it, haven't you? Like the first time I went to Ibiza, it was like, oh my God, what the hell is this? And, you know, I was sulking like a child, but he called me out in the, in and what was 2016 and he said you can't keep running it's going to catch up with you you've got light he said you've been given a gift you've been given a gift to heal people and he said through healing people you will heal yourself and I never obviously I thought it meant like doing my Reiki or that's what I thought but now maybe it, it was the book because the books healed me in major parts and it's also obviously having a huge effect on other people as well so I mean, massively, it's having, it's, it's really gaining momentum and, you know, gaining traction. And I think one of the things for me that stands out about it is, um, is your age. And I don't mean that in a patronizing sense, but, you know, when you think of people with bipolar, you often conjure up somebody who's a lot older or they've come to this decision in their life. You don't often associate it with young people in their early thirties. And, but, but by being outspoken about it you know I think it's Joe is it Joe Trussini as well oh is he in Hollyoaks yeah but again he's yeah. been very vocal about his experience with mental health 
And for me, that's what's refreshing. It's because it's seeing younger people take ownership of their mental health and be, be really open and honest about it so that we don't get to a point where somebody hits their 50s and life has become too much because they've been hiding something and you know, shrouding themselves in secrecy or, or, or overcompensating with extrovert performances because they've not felt like they could drop the guard. By having somebody like you and like Joe and you know, my friend Matt Johnson be so open, I think it's allowing a lot of people to really look inside themselves and go, is that me? Is that me? You know, when young women that might be in destructive um, relationships, toxic relationships, and they are having massive mood swings, but have never thought it could be, it could be bipolar or something, you know, that, that's for somebody else. It might actually allow them to look at themselves and go, it could be me. I'm going to go and check it out or see, or I relate to that just so that they can, if they need help, get the help that they need. And whether that's holistically or medically, either way. It's very, very common in, in early teens to early 20s for it to start to appear. Yeah. I think the worrying thing for me as this time that we're in currently, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, in lockdown, is that this could trigger people into it. So my concern is for young girls in the late teens to early 20s mm. that could start get, getting symptoms now. Some people have gone through probably really traumatic change with this, as most yeah. of us have. You know, my concern obviously is, is, you know, I do want people to speak out, obviously. Um, I want people to be open and honest. But then it's really difficult for me. You know, I've had hundreds of messages from young girls, single parents. But the difficult thing is, you know, I do speak briefly about it in the book, is that unfortunately, um, you know, the resources for mental health are very, 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 very tight. It's always took me going into crisis before I've actually got any, any help. Mm. So this is why I'm working so much with Bipolar UK, because I want more support groups well, originally it was just in the north, but I didn't realise that this was going to start going <laughs> further afield. <laughs> I've had messages from Canada. I'm like, what? Yeah, and I want the support groups. I will get them because I've put my mind to something. I will get them. I want them as drop-ins. So like you go to AA and you pay £2 go to AA and you have people there that are support people that can you can sit and talk. Because, you know, sometimes sometimes all you actually need when you're in a bad episode I found I can ring my friend up who's got bipolar disorder and I'll go right I'm thinking this thing right and I can't stop thinking about it and this is what's happening to me today yeah no totally get it right and imagine being able to just drop into it on your lunch break in the city center you know in Leeds in Manchester in London and there's all these different little support groups that you can just pop in on your lunch break and sit around people that go through the same thing that you're going through and know that you don't have to wait on a waiting list. I was meant to go to a bipolar, um, sorry, bipolar support group 18 months ago. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I've still not been, you know, and, it, and I'm not blaming them at all because it's the funding, but this yeah. is why it's so important for people that are suffering with mood disorders, like, you know, I've said to you before, you know, it's 180,000 just in the Northwest. It's one in 50 people 
that has got bipolar. blew my mind when you gave me that statistic. I was like, what? That is so huge. And as you yeah. said, the resources, they're just not there. And that's, again, why I think it's so important to have these open and frank conversations where we can get to a point where we talk about mental health, like it's, you know, if you've got a headache or if you've hurt your arm, you've sprained your wrist, whatever. It, it needs to be on that same level because there's a lot of people going around internalizing illness and feeling poorly and not being able to actually say anything you know it's like you you wouldn't push somebody would you if you knew that they had a poorly leg you wouldn't push them over it'd be the last thing that you do but because you can't see it and you're not and some people are frightened to say it they're going around feeling quite ill and 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 not being able to kind of be um I just I find it really difficult sometimes that people aren't able to speak you know what I mean? And to say how there's a feel. stigma though, isn't there? Yeah. The stigma's huge, regardless. And 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 there's still a huge stigma. An article went out, didn't it? I think at the weekend. And I mean, I don't read the comments. I just don't. I've got I don't. But you know, I know that there was comments on a newspaper article that I was in. Um, oh, attention seeker, this, that. And I just was like, oh my God, it's still happening. It's still the stigma is there. Not so much with people, I think, with anxiety and, you know, depression. People mm. tend to start to use that a lot more. They, they, they will say, now, oh, I'm, I'm suffering with depression. Years ago, you would never really hear anybody say that. Yeah. yeah. But the illnesses like your bipolar disorder or your schizophrenia or your BPD, borderline personality disorders, they have a lot of stigma attached to them. So, you know, for me... I've had to cut people out of my life. People have cut me out, you know. And one of the, the, the things is, is that people don't mind when you're in a low and you're depressed because you withdraw yourself. Mm. But when I had a psychotic episode, I had a psychotic episode just before the lockdown. Yeah. I was convinced the virus was my fault. The reason I thought the virus was my fault was because years ago, um, I, I kept, when I wasn't well, hearing you think you've got time, you think you've got time. So I then started to get this panic attack thinking, oh my God, that's what that meant. So mm. it built up. And then sometimes, because sometimes I'll get so high, I'll think, oh, I know, I'll go out and I'll have a drink and that'll, you know, I'll, I'll forget about it. Because you still do have unhealthy habits. Everybody does yeah. to, to manage things. And um, yeah, my friend was like, one minute you was like normal and then the next minute you're talking absolute like you weren't, completely I do think you've got something wrong with you but I think you're a really bad attention seeker so yeah there's still a huge stigma the huge stigma and and that was it for me it was like I can't have you in my life now because this is what I am I'm campaigning for this is what I'm pushing forward for so oh it's okay when you're depressed I can deal with you when you're depressed but when you're dressed up as Princess Leia which don't get me wrong, I was enjoying myself. I was Luciano. Um, but you know, when hypermania slips into mania mm. and you start to lose complete reality of what's going on around you, that terrifies people. Yeah. It terrifies them. So instead of being honest and going, actually, that really frightened me seeing you like that. It's like when I've took overdoses, yeah? Mm. I'd wake up in A&E and people, had, I'd get messages off people, you need to sort your head out. So, and this is after the book, right. do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. this is the thing, you see, 
we can talk and we can talk about it and, and stuff, but people are always going to have that stigma. And I have to kind of accept now that people can only understand you at their level of exposure to it. Hmm. So it's a bit like the girl, Anna, who I run um, Speak Out Like Brenda with, has ME. Now I can sympathize and I can understand at that level um, of, of, of empathy. I feel the people's pain me. It's, yeah. It can be, you know. However, I still don't know what that illness feels like. Mm. So I do kind of take a step back sometimes and go, I get you don't understand what it's like to have intrusive thoughts. I get you don't know what it's like to not want to be here anymore, even though you've got a son, even though you've got everything going for you. Joe Gilgan said it years ago on an interview we did, and I couldn't agree with him more. Mm. You know, he was like, do people not realise when they say, you've got everything going for you, you've got a son, you know, you've got good friends, you've got this, you've got that. It's like, do you not think I don't know that? But when you go into that low, and I always say, there's a 20 minute window. Mm. There's a 20 minute window. And if you don't, if somebody doesn't catch you in that 20 minute window, it, it, and, and it broke my heart with Caroline Flat. It really, really got to me about Caroline because I felt, imagine 24 hours prior to that, that she would have been, we would have all have given her that positivity and all of that love on social media and been talking about her in that way 24 hours before. I think we'd still have her. I, I think about it. this as well. And the sense that obviously with the lockdown and, and everything that's happened since, you know, and it wasn't much longer after Caroline passed away that the whole news feed became very different and she wouldn't have been the centre of attention in that spotlight anymore. And had she had a couple more weeks and, you know, potentially again, like you say, we, we would probably still have her here because the, she wouldn't be going through that extreme, you know, scrutiny because the, the, the media just shifted. It shifted all onto coronavirus and it shifted onto onto that so she would have been able to deal with whatever it was she was dealing with in a safer environment and not under that scrutiny and it is incredibly sad because as you say you know the commentary that followed her when clearly she'd said I think I was going experiencing some form of breakdown at the time when the incident took place and yet you know she was labeled this that and the other crazy whatever it, it was, still gets me upset, sorry. I know, I, I, I understand. And I don't even know her, it's like, no, do you know I, what I mean? But it was just, yeah. I absolutely um, do understand, you know, you feeling like that. And again, it, it, I think it hugely affected a lot of people because if you have suffered any form, like you say, whether <clears> it's been mild or severe um, mental health issue, you, you just wished, you wished to God that it had just been a little longer. And again, like you say, she could have been saved or she might have been safer because there is that label and there is that label of, and I think like, as you said, not so much necessarily with depression and anxiety, but when you have bipolar, schizophrenia um, and BPD, it's, it's the, there's an unbalance that there's, there's no, it's not stable. And I think that's what scares people is there's no, you don't know when the, the flip is going to happen. And that makes it quite scary for the other people around you. And again, those old fashioned labels of, psycho crazy not a uh, mental do you know what i mean and it's it's, it's people i've been called them all yeah and it, but it is people like you though natasha that are 
very bravely showing the other side of it as well and, and opening up your heart and opening it up for somebody to really get into the mindset of somebody going through it on a daily basis, which is what I loved about the book. You actually really go on the journey of the ups and the big downs. And again, you know, you know that you've not got it right and then you try again, but it's, it's not just, doesn't just point the finger. It takes accountability, but it is a genuine insight of what it's like to live in, in that world. And I think that's what's, why you're probably getting such a claim across the world. I think that's what I wanted. I wanted to, I didn't have page numbers. So if I did ever get a proper publisher, I, I wouldn't want that changing. <laughs> um, because that was, that was something that's really like, yeah, I wanted, I wanted people to pick it up and go into my head. Yeah. Joe, for example, he read it in two days. And he was like, I feel like I know you. And you people feel it. I couldn't have put that book together as as a as a perfect, clean, polished book. Mm. Because then I wouldn't have been really being true to who I am. I think I was my cousin said my auntie had read it because she said, Well, yeah, I thought it was excellent, but she should have put that you need a paracetamol when you get to the end. You feel like you've been on a marathon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If we go back to the very beginning, you know, with your journey, really, with bipolar, you know, you, you mentioned that your mum said she spotted it earlier on, maybe it's that she knew something wasn't quite right, probably around the age of 11. And then you obviously started working as an actor by the time you were in your teens. Do you feel like, um, particularly with acting, that has been again, as you've said before, a blessing and a curse in the sense that, you know, it allows you to creatively explore all those emotions in a safe environment, but then equally, if the, the rejection can be crippling. Yeah, I mean, if I wouldn't, if my mum wouldn't have said she noticed it from being 11, I would probably have said that, that the 14 bracket was when I started working. I did my first professional job when I was 14. And then I was up for quite a lot of roles. You know, auditions was a lot. You got a lot more auditions back then. You know, I remember yeah. every other week I was I was in London. My mum used to take me. And I did. And, you know, always down to the last two. That's, that's what used to really get to me is because I'd always be down to the last two. Always screen tested. I think I said to you before, I was, you know, 15 times I was up for Waterloo. Mm. Never ended up in it. I've been down to the last two for Corrie, God knows how many times, you know. And I think it was when you're down to the last two that much, you start to, I did start to think there's something wrong. Why is it always somebody else and not me? So I kind of, that rejection at such an early age, I think would be difficult for anybody. Yeah. But it was very, very intense for me. It's, you know, a particular casting director, even when I see her now, and, and I love her, I love her, do you know what I mean? I get on with her really, really well. But one particular casting director I see now, when I see her, I freeze and go back to being that 14, 15 year old, like, you know, which is ridiculous. I'm 31 years old and it's like, but it brings me back to that That's time. And Probably because how you experienced it at that time was so heightened that it's had such an oh. imprint on your brain that 
it, it wasn't a fleeting moment for you. You, you. you felt and you experienced everything in that moment. And so when you come back to it, in a weird way, like a PTSD, do you know what I mean? It takes you straight back. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, I mean, God, I've gone through God knows how many different therapy sessions, a lot of therapy sessions. And interestingly, it came up not so long ago, actually, about this rejection with castings and that I have this fear of, almost getting there mm. and then I don't and that then became a, a pattern really my trainer said to me with the with the power lifting with the competition he was like you don't finish things he was like you go so far with things and then you kind of go and it, a lot of the times because I'd get very down or I'd, I'd, I'd get so depressed and so scared mm. that I'd want to pull away from things so I think probably the rejection and, and, and a lot of stuff I went through in my teens did bring out that severeness of the disorder when I look more into it. But also on the flip side, I think being with David Johnson from being seven years old, you know, up until my, my late teens and then I went back in my early 20s, you know, to be able to express yourself, and you'll know this, mm. is fantastic fantastic and it's you're doing it in a place you know I went back and did um some classes in 2018 just to get me out of the house really I was picking up all sad scripts but you know it's fine because I, I felt sad but it allowed me to express this pain and this emotion that I was feeling and I was being able to perform it it's as this character yeah they were my feelings and emotions but nobody knew but I'd come home and it had come out of me so I, acting for me is is being able to express my intense moods and emotions. And I think maybe through my later teens, that may be why that it kind of, I didn't suffer as much because I was constantly doing theatre. I do, I did a lot of theatre, do you know what I mean? So you, you, you're constantly getting rid of that energy, as that you energy. know, when you do theatre and, and you're expressing yourself. Because my mum said actually recently, she went, do you think you did, we didn't realise there was something wrong for so long because you've always expressed it? Because David's always just, if you ask David Johnson, you know, what's Natasha Ray like? He'd be like, she's just a, just a ball of energy. She's just very energetic. But he said to me about my emotional work, he said, she's excellent, excellent, but it's not controlled. Everything's just all over. And he was right, it, well, it was, but... I do think it saves it saved me a lot of times mm. to be able to get up and express yourself with your emotions through a different character. Yeah. I don't I know about you. No, absolutely. Like I I looked at things and thought, you know, you make that switch and then you you are able to express yourself. And I I did a podcast actually a few weeks ago and we were talking about my childhood and you know, I, my mum was a single mum, a very young single mum and I I kind of expressed some of the things that I was feeling through drama and acting because I never really wanted, I was old enough in my mind to know not to put things on her because I knew she was doing her best. So I internalized a lot as a kid. So the only way for me to express it was through my drama, my singing and my dancing. And that kind of stayed with me. And I've often said before that for me, performing is a very emotional thing. You know, if I'm singing, I'll probably cry because it's a real release. And that's just the way that my, my brain has um, used performing to kind of, you know, release certain emotions. So, so 
people have asked me recently, oh, you don't sing as much. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm in a really good place. And then, you know, if I start singing and it's not controlled, I'll probably cry my eyes out and then I'll feel like a right idiot. But you know, when you are one of those people that is genuinely connected to your emotions, that's just the way it goes. I mean, something that I find really interesting, what you said before is about the energy you know, as you've just described, she's a ball of energy and how you've used, um, when you've looked at the bipolar and, and gone, it's energy, chemicals, energy. And then that's yeah. brought you to like your Kundalini and then probably, um, leveling yourself out with the power lifting. What first brought you to Kundalini yoga? Cause it's a very specific type of yoga, isn't it? It is a very specific type of yoga, Kundalini. It's very intense. It's probably why yeah. I like it. <laughs> My friend, because I, I did, I started doing yoga when I was like thirteen. I did the Barbara Courier videos when I, um, when I was like, God, no, actually younger. I must have been about eleven, twelve. If I probably would have continued, I probably would have been quite a good bendy yogi. But um, <laughs> again, I dip in and out of it. But for some reason, yeah, Kundalini yoga just I connected with it. My friend said to me, um, there's this yoga that it, Russell Brand does this yoga. And um, it's because I, because I was practicing meditation then you see, mm. I think you'd really like it. It's like a meditative yoga. And obviously you've read, it's in my book, isn't yeah. it? And I think Joe Gill did the, the monologue of it, <laughs> which was really funny. Um, but yeah, I just went along to this class in Manchester with Daria she was called the yoga teacher and yeah it's it's just exactly if anybody goes and watch the monologues watch Joe Gill's monologue because that is exactly what basically happened I walked in and I was like dancing around with my eyes closed and chanting and uh, you know some of it it was quite difficult because you, you do a lot of repetitions um which you wouldn't do in a normal say hatha yoga where you're more in the yeah. flow but it just, I come out and I just thought, wow, like that's done something to me. I don't know what it's done. And it's really interesting because I met a guy once and he used to come in. He was a businessman, really, really successful businessman. He used to come in and he ended up actually, I don't think he was supposed to be doing Kundalini. I think he was supposed to actually be doing Ashwang. Um, Ash, uh, Ash, oh God. Ashwang. I know what you mean. <laughs> God, I can't remember. it's been that long. I can't remember the name of it. That's going to really annoy me that now. Um, <laughs> anyway, we ended up talking to him after class one day, me and my friend. And um, he said, do you know what? I come in, I'm so annoyed, I'm so on edge. He said, but I come out of here. He said, for four or five days after, he said, he went, I'm just in a different place. He said, I don't understand it. I don't know what it does to me. He said, but it honestly, he said, makes me feel. And it brings up stuff, he said, that I need to deal with that I don't want to deal with. And I just think it's, I call it the magic yoga. That's why they always say it's a magic yoga, but it's a science. Everything in Kundalini yoga well, is, is all it. to my do with science. Friend, um, she, my best friend's a spiritual energy healer and she does Reiki and she's forever saying to me, you know, whenever I'm anxious, get outside, get your feet on the grass, ground yourself. And she's always telling me, and I haven't done it yet to be fair, you know, she's always saying to me, um, Natalie, you'd love Kundalini. You'd love it. It's totally for you. It's, it's you know, you, you'll enjoy it. And like you say, there's a science behind it. So you can, you know, it's not just airy-fairy, which some people would probably assume. There's a real logic and science to it too. No, there's an actual science behind it. Um, 
every Korea is done for 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 the specifics and if you've ever experienced that a kundalini awakening when the energy comes up and it comes up through i mean it happened to me the first time was in when i was in ibiza i was like i was off my face on energy <laughs> people think when they go to ibiza the reason why they love ibiza so much is because it's the party island and because of the drink actually i don't drink when i'm in ibiza i don't drink and i'm high as anything because off the energy but the way that it moves the energy up the spine don't get me wrong as well it's not the type of you know it's not all peace and love like it's torn me to pieces some classes you know things have come up and it will they'll come up it moves up your body and it's it's amazing what it does i love i love kundalini yoga and i love i've always been very lucky because i've always connected with teachers that have got still got a bit of the wild side and i love that i love that i love the fact that you know my kundalini yoga teacher in ibiza you know he, he, he still likes to eat naughty food now and then and then the kundalini teacher who i connected with who is in la you know she still likes to drink a fizzy pop because i've always struggled between both those lives i feel i've always struggled between you know the yogi spiritual life and and the kind of ascetic you know type of life but yeah i would recommend kundalini yoga to anybody even just for the meditation because it helped people meditate that can't just stay still so then take me on to the the power lifting because i mean you're five foot one aren't you i'm actually five foot actually five foot, <laughs> just... so you're biddy widdy and yeah there you are lifting these huge weights i mean tell me about that period as well Yes, yeah, so obviously you would have read in the book. I approached Anthony, poor thing, probably the worst mistake of his life. And I was tra I started weight training because I heard that weight training was really good for grounding your moods. Mm. So I started weight training before it became like popular. So before people was on Instagram with all, you know, I went to the gym and I was like, okay, I'm going to start lifting weights and seeing how I get on. The trainer that I had wasn't very good. And I really just, for some reason, got really into squats, but more particularly deadlifting. I really loved it. And I really wanted to learn how to do it properly. And um, yeah, I knew that this guy um, had just been to Miami um, and competed in the Worlds. And I said to him, I was like, can you teach me how to deadlift? Anyway, I started training with him. That was like five years ago. Um, but two years into training with him, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, I don't, I don't, I didn't think, I think what it was is it started to make me a lot more mentally strong. Mm. I, he was training my mind because I remember he said to me, right, jump on that box. You know, the little boxes that you do yeah. like. In, and I went, I'm not jumping on that. I said, what if I fall? You know, cut to two years later, I'm jumping on boxes that are like twice, three sizes bigger than me. And, you know, I've gone to hell and back in that gym, but it taught me a mental strength. Um, I fell to the floor with 80 kilo across my back and I wouldn't squat 80 kilo for a year then. So I had to, it, it trains you for, for, for me, deadlifting gave me this, this mental strength that I don't think anything else that I've ever done has given me. It was more in my mind. Tell me, tell me like the, the heaviest that you lifted, as we just said, you're like five foot. So, you know, you're, you're, you're petite. And what's the heaviest that you were lifting? 
my deadlift, I think was at, I think I was about 50, I weighed in at, I think I weighed in at 57, 58 kilo, I deadlifted 122.5. Wow. Yeah, on, on, and then my, my, my squats, uh, I think my, I've still not got the hundred yet. My squat was, um, I think 92.5 my squat, yeah. Many times when I've had assessments with the mental health and they've gone, I think you need to go on, back on meds. And I've gone, give me, give me six weeks. Give me six to 10 weeks. And I'll go into Anthony and I'll say, right, they won't put me back on meds. Okay, straight away. Back on the diet. Changes my diet around. Changes the way that, you know, he, he, he's somebody that he will adapt my training to where my mood's at. That's how familiar he's got with, with me and my condition he knows and I think for a personal trainer you know that is exceptional to yeah. be able to 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 create somebody's training mm. you know and I did and you know I did like in a way he's gutted you know I, like he, he, he it says in the book you know I had the potential to go on to the you know the world and and I didn't and do I regret it I do wish I would have probably gone to the world's to me, it ended up, you were chasing the numbers and you're chasing, and it's very competitive powerlifting. Mm. And I, I lost that, what I was doing it for. And I like going in the gym in my pajamas. And some of my best lifts have been at half six, seven o'clock in the morning when I've still got my pajamas on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've dragged myself out of bed to get there. And it's what it gave me, meant. it gave me a lot of mental strength. It really, really did. And, and I owe Anthony and that gym a hell of a lot. I think I that's key, isn't it? You know, prior to the lockdown, I'd had, I was suffering terribly from anxiety and, and I did something very similar. I took on an amazing personal trainer, Owen, who, again, did the same thing, reassessed all my nutrition, changed everything. And I said, I'm not coming to you here to lose weight or anything like that. I'm coming to you because... I need some control in my brain and you know and we've worked in a similar way and, and that trust of them knowing you and, and knowing that you can um you know just how to how to level you out I suppose with with nutrition with exercise because I do find and on 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 this podcast we've talked about it in series one that you know a lot of the time people are very quick to give you medication and there is a place for medication absolutely but mm. it shouldn't be handed out like, you know, not like sweets, but as in, okay, you need this. There are other alternatives. And I think that's another thing that you're offering up for anyone that, you know, potentially has got bipolar disorder or a mental health issue that you can manage this condition equally well with exercise, the right nutrition, you know, setting yourself goals as much as you can with medication. Medication is such a tricky one for me. I had a friend who got diagnosed with bipolar disorder not so long ago and they gave her antipsychotics and I was mortified. I was like, why are they not monitoring you? And she ended up worse off on these antipsychotics. What's interesting is I actually wanted to go back on medication at Christmas because I was obviously I was in a real bad low at mm. Christmas, at November last year. And they wouldn't give it me because they decided that they thought I would this one psychologist decided he thought he had BPD so I couldn't get any medication which now I'm kind of glad about because um, I'm glad I didn't end up back on it but medication and diagnosis is what I've seen um, and I'm experiencing now is quite frightening 
So it's again, that double-edged sword. So I'm kind of going, I want people to speak out and go to the doctors. But then on the other hand, I don't want people to go to the doctors and be handed um, an appointment and they get seen once off one psychiatrist or one psychologist and they say, yeah, you've got this. Uh, I want people to get second opinions. Mm. People need to be monitored. It can take up to nine years to get a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And also before I got my diagnosis, I seen three, four, five different psychiatrists, not psychologists. So a psychologist shouldn't have even been changing my diagnosis. Mm. Um, And I've noticed that a lot recently. They're handing out labels very, very quickly and then handing the medications just to get them off so they don't have to keep assessing them. I have only now, on Friday, got an assessment to have a mental health worker. I have not had a mental health worker ever. Crikey. And I've fought for this mental health worker because I've gone into crisis twice in the last 18 months. Because if everybody who has a condition like schizophrenia, you know, bipolar disorder, if they had a mental health worker or a support worker that they can contact and go, I'm getting ill. If I had somebody that I could have contacted in November, I remember going into the doctors, breaking down and saying, I'm not well. I'm really not well. And what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to ring? Mm. Went, You'll have to go to A&E. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. Why have we? Why are you allowing it to get to this stage, where I, I, I'm that torn with with this episode? I see no other way out than going. I want. I didn't want to be here. Just I couldn't take it. And the Lord, you know, I'm grateful. I'm here, and and I, and I will keep fighting on. I will keep fighting on. But what worries me so much is is I feel like. I want to grab every single person that suffers and I want to get hold of them in my arms like this and hold them really tightly and just be like, right, let me sort you out. Let me sort you. Right, let's do this. Let... It, it just worries me because I've experienced every single side of what people can go through. I think, the, again, Natasha, that's what, for me personally, is, is what is amazing about you, that you, you have experienced this whole spectrum and you've very bravely put it all out there to raise awareness to get people talking so you are using all of that experience that personal experience that you've had for the greater good and to shine a light on this really quite you know i would say this frustrating disorder it is frustrating as much as anything because you know at the heart you've got the normal happy healthy person who's clever, educated, talented, but just unfortunately at different times can experience these other factors. You know, you, you've given them names now. You've given them Mandy and Debbie and, and uh, Brenda, and you've given them little characters, these, these different moods that you get into. But it's where you now take the book, Me, Myself um, and Bipolar Brenda, I mean, I think that's going to be key for you, isn't it? And where, where are you hoping to go now with it? It's really difficult because obviously, like, I didn't expect all this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I still don't know Amazon works. <laughs> I literally winged, I winged, the full, I winged the full thing. I, I just, I still, they could be having me off for God knows what. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> I'd really like to, I'd like to get it properly published. 
just so I can get it in more places. Mm. I'd like to get it into libraries. My dream is for it to be in Waterstones just because I'm that person that goes to Waterstones on a Saturday afternoon and they're asking me to leave politely at five o'clock when I've been in there since 11 o'clock. And, you know, I I want it in supermarkets. Um, I want it more accessible. And I think, I don't know, the only way maybe to do that is is for it to, to obviously be published. But then the other side of it is if it gets handed over to a publisher, you know, how much of it will they change? Because there was a review, I think, from Northern Soul where she was saying like these typos and spelling errors and stuff. She says, but if there wasn't that, I think it would take away the rawness and the the truth from what you you feel like you're picking up somebody's journal. And that's what I wanted. Even with the pictures on the front of it, it's like, imagine if you have a journal, you used to stick pictures of things yeah. that you liked on the front. Yeah. And that's where I got the idea from for, to have that. So if it did go to a publisher's, it would be, it would have to be the right publisher. But you know what? Tom, Tom said to me ages ago, because I mean, bless him, he got bits of journals just emailed to him randomly. And he says, my spelling's unique. Um, bless him. <laughs> But he said to me, I was like, oh, you know, um, anybody, he said, anybody that says anything to you, agent wise, publishing wise, anything like that, anybody who mentions anything to you about your spelling and grammar are not the right person for you because they haven't got a creative bone in their body. He was like, because anybody who picks that book up and that's the only thing they take from it, they're not the right person for you. Where it's meant to go, it's going to go. I, I wanted one person to pick it up and 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 it to to help them or to make them laugh, and it's reached more than what I could have ever have, have dreamed of, and it's also made me want to write more, which I didn't think I would. Your knack for storytelling and how um, just genuine it is, the genuineness of your voice and how you say it and and how you capture the humour alongside the you know the emotion, but it's because it. It, it is in your voice and there's the real, um, it's dialogue basically, you know, it's not too convoluted with its sentences or flowery, it's straight to the point, it's gritty and it does feel like a, it does feel at times like a monologue or a script or a, or a one woman show almost in the sense that, you know, you are you are reading it through your, your personal experiences and I mean, I know you've expressed like, um, thoughts of it going to television or maybe a film and maybe that's that's something that an area that would again put it put it on the the wider map potentially maybe that's something I mean I'm very very lucky that it's had the interest that it's had production wise Mm. do you know what I mean up to now very lucky and uh, very grateful to even have had some of the conversations that I've had regarding it do you know what I mean yeah I would love for it to be on TV because I think it would open up people's eyes more. And I think with the right writing, with the right directing and the right production, it could be something really, really special. And that's not me like blowing smoke up my own, you know, it's because of how people are relating to it in the book. It's like people relate to real characters you know, normal people that's just been on. How simple was that? How simple, but it was about the characters, it was about the story. And I want a piece of work 
that people are going to watch and it's going to, yeah, I've said this before, change the way they, they think. I've always wanted, from being a little girl, I've always wanted to make people feel things. Mm. I want you to laugh. I want you to cry about that thing that you're too scared to cry about. Cry about it. Let it out. You know, and also what I want is for people that do have a mental health illness, even though they have got children, don't be so hard on yourself because you're doing the best you can do. You know, you really, really are. I'm, I get frustrated myself every day because I think I really want to take him out into the park now, but I'm too scared to go because I'm worried, you know, and, and I just think you, you can get so much caught up with it. But I think me personally, there's so many stories in there, mm. stories within stories and characters, you know, don't know if any, whoever's read it, you know, one of my favorite characters in that book is, is, is one of the characters that I see in A&E. She's, I think if I was to be in it, that's who I'd want to be. <laughs> I, well, want to be I, really, I do genuinely hope that we can bring it to life at some point, you know, and we will get to see um, a version of it on television because I do think everyone deserves to see, to see your story and to have that insight into what it is like to actually, as you say, have intrusive thoughts, live, live where you're juggling so much and not just like the everyday juggle, but juggling, mentally juggling all the time as well. I think it's, it will give a wider audience that insight I mean oh, I'm absolutely gutted because we've got to round it up now and I literally could have like chatted to you all day and it's so frustrating that we've got to finish up now but I just wanted to say um thank you so much Natasha for, for joining me it's been it's been an absolute pleasure honestly to chat to you today thank you so much for having me I really really appreciate me you'll have to do a monologue for us now Oh, I will. Get on board. I was just about to say that, you know, I really wish you so much success as well with the Speak Out Like Brenda campaign and with the book. I'm just grateful to you for being so brave and honest and frank and making it easier for other people genuinely to have, you know, conversations about their mental health. It's so important. So thank you so much, my love. And thank you also um, to you guys out there for joining us today. It's been lovely to have you with us. Remember, you can catch up with all of our previous podcasts at our website or by subscribing to our various podcast channels and YouTube. Please do leave us your rates and reviews as we love to hear your thoughts. You can also check out our regular wellbeing, fashion and beauty content at www.thecapsule.co.uk or by visiting our Instagram page. I will be back next week with another very special guest. But today, all that's left for us to say is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Natasha. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me.